Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where writer and China analyst Mark O'Neill tells me about a second Irishman this week called Sir Francis Henry May, who headed up the police force here in the late 19th century and was governor here from 1912. Francis Henry May was an authoritarian leader and, in terms of British rule, a man of his time. He cleaned up the police force when officers were taking backhanders to ignore illegal gambling. He brought in incredibly courageous volunteer police officers to help clear the bodies of those who had died from the bubonic plague in 1894. He instituted a law that only allowed Europeans to live on the peak, with one famous exception, and he also was shot at in his sedan chair in an assassination attempt. So this week, it's the life of Sir Francis Henry May. Well, today we're speaking about an Irishman called Sir Francis Henry May. He was a governor of Hong Kong, and he spent 38 years of his life here, which is the longest of any individual governor. And he was an Irish person born in Dublin, but from a, a different class and circumstance to John Joseph Francis, whom we spoke about last week. His father was uh, the Chief Justice of Ireland, which makes him one of the most important citizens in, in Ireland at the time. He was educated at Harrow School and Trinity College Dublin, and he was an outstanding student, and he studied classics and modern languages at Trinity which was the major university, the major Anglican university in Ireland at the time. And he decided to apply for a cadetship in Hong Kong. And he passed the exam for this. And as you know, the cadets were a class of civil servant who were hired to learn Cantonese first before they joined the civil service to enable the government to have at least um, a cadre of expats who were fluent in Cantonese. So Henry May studied Cantonese for two years and he even wrote a guide to colloquial Cantonese with his teacher. But not only that, he was then sent to Beijing for two years to learn Mandarin. And th this I can't really figure out because Mandarin would be of no particular use to you if you're working in, in Hong Kong. So my idle speculation is this was a bureaucratic mistake by someone in London who wasn't quite sure what Chinese meant. So he thought Chinese means Mandarin, so we have to send him to, to, Be to Beijing for two years. So anyhow, Henry May had this uh, rare honor of, of having two years to learn Cantonese and two years to, to learn Mandarin at the expense of the government. And then he comes back to, to Hong Kong and he's immediately given a very senior position. He's the private secretary to the governor, who is Sir William DeVoe. And he's also assistant protector of Chinese. And this title is the protector of Chinese is like the secretary in charge of the Chinese population. So he'd be the assistant. So he was only 26, but he's already got this very important position. Now, he was very keen on horse riding, so he used to ride horses. In 1887, he's riding a horse called the Vexation, and he loses control of the horse, and the horse goes very near the rail and, and smashes his leg. So he's thrown off the horse, and he has a compound fracture of his leg. So he has to take a time out of his career to repair his leg. So we're now 1889. He becomes the private secretary to 
Acting Administrator Digby Barker. And what's an Acting Administrator? Well, Acting means the Administrator is on leave or has left Hong Kong and the new one hasn't come. So you are holding the position for a short time. And what would the Administrator do? Again, a very senior position in the administration of the government, so a very high position. And Henry May falls in love with the daughter of Digby Barker, who's called Helena. And they have four daughters, and his wife, of course, is Helena May. And we will speak about her later, and her memory is with us today because of this wonderful institution that she set up. In 1893, Henry May becomes the head of the police force, this, of course, is a very important job in Hong Kong. And 1894, we have the bubonic plague, and the police force is the major body that has to deal with this plague. And May has a very key role here. He has to organize his men to go to remove the bodies of the people who've died, to disinfect the homes of where they were, persuade or force the family members to leave so they can disinfect the place and for the people to be quarantined and this sometimes required the use of force because the people didn't want to leave they didn't understand why they were required to leave and Chinese have procedures as to how to deal with the bodies of dead people and they wanted to take them back to their home place in China and have a, a burial near the family plot but because the bodies were diseased they had to be disposed of as soon as possible put in common graves and this was not easy for Chinese to accept so May was the man who had to enforce these regulations um, as I say many Chinese opposed them and for the policemen involved it was a very difficult thing to do and the policemen were also at risk because they were handling these infected bodies oh yes I know incredibly risky time I mean you know what, what sort of I mean when I look back at SARS, for example, in 2003 and everybody absolutely covering up and then breathing through a mask and all of these sorts of things in order to avoid SARS. And yet, you know, these people in the police force who were dealing directly with these bodies some of the time, I mean, they, they would have had no practical protection at all. No. And according to some of the literature I've read on this, the, all the policemen who did this work were volunteers. So they were in the police, they had their regular work to do and May invited them to volunteer for this. And it was only those who volunteered that, that did it. So they're extremely brave people. And the government set up a hospital ship in the harbor, and they put the people to be quarantined on the hospital ship, where they would stay for a certain period. And of course, the doctors on the hospital ship would be European doctors who are practicing Western medicine. So this is also a great challenge because many of the Chinese didn't understand what, what it is they were doing there, what the kind of treatments were being done on them, why this was necessary. So for this, you, you need to have a very strict and severe disciplinarian, and that is exactly what Henry May was. So he was the ideal person to have for this particular emergency. And in 1895, the governor decided to reward those policemen who'd been involved in this. So 63 of them got medals, and May himself was given the order of St. Michael and George, which is a great honor. And remember, he's only in his 40s now, so this is an honor usually given to people 
older and more senior than him. From 1893 to 1902, he's the head of police, uh, also the Victoria Jail and the Fire Brigade. And of course, during that time, he has the huge challenge of organising the police for the bubonic plague. And also within the police force, what, what was he involved with there? Well, it's not news to anybody that Chinese love gambling. So, of course, gambling was widespread in Hong Kong then as it is today. And there were many um, illegal gambling dens uh, in, in Hong Kong then. And the police knew about them and tolerated them. And many policemen took money to leave them alone. Now, perhaps other police chiefs would have turned a blind eye to this as a necessary evil. This is part of Chinese society. But May was a very strict disciplinarian. So he decided to go after this. So he discovered that of the 109 European policemen, 14 had taken money. Of the 211 Indian policemen, 38 had taken money. And of the 191 Chinese policemen, 76 had taken money. <laughs> so he decided that he had to have a complete restructuring of the police force. So he dismissed uh, 49 officers. Others were forced to resign, and one British inspector had six months in prison. And then he went to the UK, and he re recruited more than 40 Europeans to join the police force. And this is, these are very drastic measures, because, of course, when you import people from outside, they start from zero. They have no knowledge of life in Hong Kong, the life of Chinese, how to speak Cantonese and so forth. So I think only a very brave and single-minded person would carry out such reforms. Yes, and if you want to know more detail on that, that in fact uh, overlaps with uh, British Rose Sullivan's excellent book on the, the sort of early years of the Hong Kong police force going right through to about the, I think about the 1950s. And uh, she talks about how Francis Henry May goes back to a town in Ireland mm. and basically basically recruits all these men and so you end up with the, a lot of these Irish police officers coming back or getting trained uh, and coming back here. So in terms of, so you have this new influx, So, but in order to solve this gambling scandal as well, I mean, it, 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 obviously they've got a bunch of uh, police who are taking backhanders or bribes, but it, did he actually clamp down on the, the gambling dens as well? Yes, oh yes. So, so he was a very strict and stern person. You know, he had very conservative views about race. So, 1904, when he was colonial secretary, which is the number two position, he passed the Peak Reservation Ordinance, which bans any Chinese from living on the peak unless they have the governor's permission. So, it was a kind of segregation. And the only exception was a man called Sir Robert Houghton, who would be the richest, well, Eurasian, I mean, half-Chinese businessman in Hong Kong. And he was well known to the government leaders. And he had a European buy for him a home on the peak. And he had two wives, and he put one of his wives and her children in this house on the peak. But otherwise, the peak was entirely a European place. And also, May would not allow his officers in the police or in the prisons to marry non-Europeans. So uh, there were no Chinese or Eurasian wives among them. Do you know, it's interesting, this policy by the British, how it would be viewed now is in, you know, obviously 
unacceptably racist. But it's interesting that that as colonial governments, the the British colonial governments were very different from Portuguese and other colonialists in in that they had these very strict rules on segregation. My take on it is that imperialism rests on various myths. How is it possible that Britain or France was able to control these enormous territories with huge populations using only a very small number of its own people? I mean, India would be the best example. How many white civil servants and soldiers were there to control a country of hundreds of millions of people? So you can't do it by violence alone. You have to do it by kind of mind control. So the myth is that the white person is superior and has abilities which the local people don't have. So to perpetuate this myth, you have to keep the white race separate from the local people. Because if you have your white officers marrying Chinese and then their children are half and half, it becomes clear that uh, they're not different. They are the same. So the myth vanishes. So I think someone like May very much subscribed to the imperial idea and that the only way to preserve this British control was to keep this uh, racial purity. And I remember, I mean, I came here in 1978 and the rule was not written so clearly as in May's day, but I remember many of my expat friends telling me that they were discouraged from marrying Chinese or marrying Asians actually if they wanted to have a long career in a major institution or in the Hong Kong government, uh, rise to a high position. It was better to have a white wife, British wife, Western European wife, but in those days you couldn't have an East European or Soviet wife because they would be suspect. So, you know, British wife would be best, French, German, American wife would also be acceptable. So even then, we're now speaking the 1980s, this was still a widespread idea. So we're looking today, I'm talking to writer Mark O'Neill, we're looking at the life of Sir Francis Henry May. And uh, So, as we say, he was a disciplinarian that worked very well when he was reforming the police after a gambling scandal in 1897 to 99, and also in 1894, of course, having to really introduce some very strict rules in terms of how to handle and, uh, you know, end the plague here in Hong Kong. But, you know, as you say, he was, we can call him very conservative, he was racist, but based on law from that era, married to Helena, who uh, is uh, of Helena May, which is still uh, an institution here today. Yeah, I just want to say a few words about his time as colonial secretary. This is 1902 to 1911, so he's there for nine years, and he faced various challenges, and one of them was a boycott of the, the tram system, because the tram company determined that they would only take Hong Kong dollars as payment. So at that time, people would also pay in Macau patakas, or they'd pay in Chinese yuan. So there was a boycott of the tram system. So May took a very hard line, said this boycott is illegal, insisted that only Hong Kong money be paid, then passed a law saying that in Hong Kong only the Hong Kong dollar was legal. So in this way he was able to break the boycott and continue as as before. And then of course we have World War I, 1914. He becomes governor in 1912, he's governor for six years. And we have to say that 
even when he was not governor, he was a very important person here because many of the governors before him, they had little knowledge of Hong Kong. They constantly needed his advice uh, as to what to do. Who is, who is this person? What is this place? What's going on? So before even he was governor, he was still a very key person. And also periods when the governor is absent, is on leave, uh, on holiday, or between governors. In that time, he served as governor too. So he was actually governor for longer than the six years that he was, you know, the official governor. So the first thing that happens, um, this is July 1912, he's just taken on the post, and he's in a sedan chair near the general post office. And a man steps forward with a gun and fires it at close range. And he's very fortunate. The, the bullet misses him and hits the sedan of his wife behind. And this man was called Li Hong Hong, and he had been formerly a policeman. And May had expelled him from the police for, for misbehavior. So this was a kind of revenge against him. So after that, uh, May would only travel in a car. So he was the first governor to use a car. But tell me with the gun, I mean, it basically missed, it hit the wife's sedan chair, so Helena May, but didn't cause any injury. No, and I mean, May was a tough guy, so he, he, he proceeds to, I think, City Hall. He has an engagement, he has to give a speech, and he gives the speech. He's a tough guy. But also, with this situation, what happens to this police officer who was, you know, seeking revenge, who'd been expelled by Sir Francis Henry May? Uh, well, he was overpowered and he was arrested. So, so he's called Li Hong Hong. Li Hong Hong. Li Hong Hong. That's right. So this is 1912, and then we have World War One. And in World War One, Hong Kong is very patriotic. Many of the expats here volunteer, go and serve in the war in Europe. And Hong Kong raises about 10 million Hong Kong dollars for the war effort. And again, I, I see May's hand very much in this, because as you can imagine, May would be very patriotic and very much backing the war effort, even though the war had nothing to do with Hong Kong, it had nothing to do with China, it was the other side of the world. And during the war, of course, he would be even more in charge because his bosses in London would be so preoccupied with fighting the war. So he would be very much left in charge of running Hong Kong on his own uh, during this war period. Now, he was very conservative also in terms of who should be in LegCo. As we mentioned last week, John Joseph Francis and others said that there should be wider representation in, in LegCo. There should be elections. Uh, there should be Chinese representation in LegCo. But May had no time for this. So during his tenure, there was no alteration as to who should be in LegCo. It was still the structure was, remained un, unchanged. So now I'd like to talk about something that happened in January 1918, which is one of the worst uh, criminal events in, in Hong Kong. And it's what we call the Gresson Street Massacre. So this was a fight between a criminal gang and the police force, which happened on the streets of Wan Chai. Five police were killed, five were injured, three of the gang members were killed, one was shot, and the gang leader ends up in number six, Gresson Street in, in Wan Chai, and he's holed up there, and he's surrounded by the police, but they don't know what to do because they don't know exactly where he is, and he has a large arsenal of weapons with him, 
So it's a very difficult decision as to how to approach him. Now, Henry May is the governor now. He's not the police chief. He's the governor. But when he's informed about this, he says, I'm going to go myself. So he goes in person and he negotiates individually with the gang leader and tries to persuade him to, to give up. So I must say we must admire him for doing this. I mean, as we say, we don't know exactly where the gang leader is. We don't know exactly what, what weapons he's got. If you are uh, going near him, you are putting yourself at risk. Anyway, May wanted to do that, and he's, he's in his late 50s now. He can't persuade the gang leader to give himself up, so they use two smoke bombs, and that finally forces him out, so they were able to arrest him. So a few days later, we have a funeral for the dead policeman. And of the policemen, two are expat. One is Irish, one is from this town in Cork that you mentioned. One is Indian and two are Chinese. And we have 250,000 people turn out for this funeral. So that's half the population. And yes, that's impressive. So this shows us the affection in which the police are held by the, the public and their sympathy for them facing this degree of violence by, the, by this criminal gang. They also raised 27,600 Hong Kong dollars for the families of the, of the dead people. So that's 1918. So 1919, finally Henry May retires, his health is deteriorating, and he lives for three years more. He dies in Clare Priory in Suffolk, which is the ancestral home of his wife's family. So in England, he, yeah. he goes back, yeah. yeah. And so, but he's, so he's not a very old man when he dies then? Uh, no, he was 62. 62. But uh, as you can see, his life has been very exhausting and, and stressful. So that's Sir Francis Henry May. What do we know? I mean, you, as you say, he is a bit of a disciplinarian, which, you know, considering that he has spent his life in roles of authority mm. in, in certain cases, fitted, you know, in terms of running the police, running the territory, and he does show personal courage in those roles. Also, he is a man of his time in terms of his very conservative stroke racist policies that, that are part of the British colonial government at that time. But... Uh, what would you say about the man himself? Do we know, um, did he write anything personal? Did he, um, you know, is he, you know, as a family man, is he equally strict? <laughs> well, the best quote I can find about him was from one of his Chinese uh, colleagues, which is, sparing of speech, sparing of smiles, he never spared himself in the execution of his duty in the colony. I think that's a very good summary. So I think he was very hardworking, he was meticulous, he was very efficient in his work. He reformed the police force, he, he ran Hong Kong in a very disciplined and effective manner. He was a very keen sportsman, as I mentioned he liked uh, horse racing, he used to go often to Happy Valley race course, he had his own horses, he took a great interest in the training of his horses, he sometimes started the races at Happy Valley, he liked cricket. He liked golf. He helped construct the Fanling golf course. And he was also Commodore of the Royal Hong Kong Yacht Club. He had four daughters. A photograph of him with his wife and the children look, they all look quite intimidated by him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> the, the, the daughters all look quite scared of him, yes. 
But I think his wife was a more warm-hearted lady. Yes, and of course in 1912, which was the start of his governorship of Hong Kong, um, Helena May um, found um, the institute named, named after her. And this was actually for, I mean, we'll just, if we can just briefly look at that, because the subject today is more her husband, Sir Francis Henry May. But uh, with, with the Helena May, that's set up for um, single women who were coming as professionals often from Britain and needed somewhere safe and uh, decent to stay is that would you agree with that assessment yes yeah I, I think his wife was a remarkable lady in the fact that expat women were very limited in what they could do and if your husband was a senior official you were even more limited in other words you couldn't hold a normal job you couldn't be in business what were you able to do so what Helena May did was she threw herself into charity work uh, she was a very uh, lively, uh, warm-hearted person. And being the wife of the governor, of course, gives you enormous leverage. And you're able to do a lot of things which other people can't do. So she was the patroness of the Hong Kong Nursing Institution. She was the president of the Young Women's Christian Association in Hong Kong. And as you say, she realized that if you were an expat woman coming to Hong Kong, and especially if you weren't married, where could you stay? Where could, where could you work? What, what facilities were available to you? And to meet the needs of these women, she set up the Helena May. And it was aimed for people not from Hong Kong who were coming here to live and work, but especially single and professional women. So I think she's, she's far ahead of her time. And as you can see today, it's, it's a wonderful building. It's a perfect location. It's very close to Central. And she raised money from Sir Ellis Kaduri, member of the Kaduri family, and also Ho Kom Tong, whose brother of Robert Ho Tong that we mentioned. So she raised the money from those two donors to build this building. And uh, this institution has existed until now, and it, it's had a wonderful history. It's still widely used. It's got an excellent library. I know many people who stayed there and it continues to fulfill the function for which she built it. So she's left a great legacy. So that's Helena May, of, of uh, the Helena May, which you can still see, which has an excellent library here and uh, is, is still very much an area of residence or where you can have a membership of the Helena May there on Garden Road. Back to Sir Francis Henry May, how would you say that he's remembered among the governors? Yeah, I, I think he's remembered because he stayed here for so long. You know, most governors stayed here only for the period of their tenure and then were sent off to another post. That was the British system. Uh, there were very few governors who were here having had a long career in Hong Kong before. I think that's why he made such an impact, because he was here and the kind of personality he was. He was a very stern man with very clear ideas about he, what he wanted. So he left his mark here. I think that uh, also Sir Francis Henry May is a different model of governor in the sense that, or it's a different, perhaps a different era, in that many later governors really just come in for their tenure as a governor and then leave again, um, whereas he's been here and established a career for decades. So when he was governor, of course, he already had a very clear ideas about what he wanted to do because he'd been here for so long before. But as you say, the, the, the British preference was was to have a governor who'd been in Africa or been in, 
India or been somewhere else and uh, perhaps had been the governor of, of another place um, and then come here, stay for four or five years, uh, I mean bring the knowledge that they had acquired in the other place here. That, that was the model. My thanks to writer Mark O'Neill talking there on the life of the head of police and governor Sir Francis Henry May. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. Mm -hmm.